Poya. This is Robbie. Welcome to Uncharted and Eclectic. And thanks for joining us again. Welcome back to another episode of Uncharted and Eclectic. Uh, super, super excited today. Um, we have a really great guest that we're hosting, uh, Barbara Gago. Um, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, we're really happy to have you here. And where are you calling in from? I am in Amsterdam. I moved at the beginning of the year, so I squeaked out of the U.S. just before everything. Before the airports closed down. So you're probably, (laughs) I've been to Amsterdam once, you're probably experiencing early mornings and late evenings. Isn't that kind of how it is in the summertime there with the sun? Yeah, it's pretty much daylight until almost 11. Yeah, it's like twilight still at that time. So I got to ask, and and this is somewhat of a personal question, but we were just talking before the call about morning people and evening people. Are you asleep before the sun goes down? Because that's just like a hard thing to get my head on. (laughs) Definitely (laughs) not. Nope. Uh, Just long, long days, which are really nice. Um, It's the summer here, so the weather's been pretty good, but there is some, you know, it's Amsterdam, so it also rains a lot. It was raining this morning, for example, but now the sun is out. So it's pretty, it's pretty cool. And I think for me, it's, uh, I've, I used to have to be a morning person because I collaborated with people across the planet in Russia and also here in Amsterdam. And now most of the people that I am working with or talking to are in the US. So I don't really start my day until like two o'clock in the afternoon and it's pretty nice. <laughs> Very <laughs> cool. Day, I, your work day for sure. Um, so we'll get into that, but, but maybe to start, um, we always kind of love to ask for our listeners, if you could give like a quick personal as well as uh, professional background just on yourself, where you're from, um, you know, kind of like your whole story and, and, and what led you, I guess, to, to where you are today uh, here in Amsterdam. Yeah, of course. Um, well, I actually was born and raised in California, so I spent most of my life there. I was raised in Southern California and moved up to the Bay Area right after high school, so college and most of my early days there. Uh, I moved to New York for a couple of years. So I actually started, I have a very roundabout way of getting into tech, I guess, because I started in fashion and was a fashion designer and lived in New York and partnered with um, kind of like an avant-garde designer and did all of the styling, fashion show production. Uh, And then I moved back to the Bay Area and wanted to kind of bring the beauty industry more into kind of tech and blogs. And I mean, at that time, I'm definitely dating myself, but most of the blogs were just tech focused, like Gizmodo type of blogs. Um, And it was really like super experimental, but that's kind of how I learned initially about building community and word of mouth and growing online audiences. Um, And so I actually was working at a restaurant uh, in San Francisco, supplementing my income while I was building this website. And then I was like serving at this French French restaurant and I had um, 
gotten some sort of exposure, I guess, uh, because of my blog. And I had been interviewed um, to join this company as like an early editor, but of course I didn't have actual editorial experience because I had a fashion degree and then I just started building this blog. And so they ended up not hiring me, but one of my regulars at the restaurant who would always come in for lunch and I knew what he wanted. So I would just order it as soon as he walked in. He owned an agency, like a local boutique agency. And when I told him the story and how they didn't hire me, but he had been learning through me all of the stuff that I was learning and telling him about my website and how to build traffic. And we were working with influencers and all this stuff. So he ended up offering me a job and hired me um, as an account executive uh, at the agency. And I ended up building all of the new media products for a lot of local clients. Um, and then from there, I kind of ended up at a SaaS company after that. And kind of that was my launching off point. But it was very uh, <laughs> not not a normal path, I guess, to get into tech. Oh, that's awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that. I, so we've had the opportunity to interview um, a handful of accomplished marketing leaders such as yourself and everybody's like path into marketing leadership has always been different, but I can say without, uh, without a doubt that like fashion and like blog copywriting is uh, like as like a core skill set that, that you learned <laughs> first is definitely a first on this podcast. So like, tell us a little bit about how you took those things that you learned early and like what your approach was to kind of round out the rest of your marketing skill set and grow into, you know, down the line, more of like a CMO role. Yeah. I mean, I think I, obviously there was a lot of luck involved just even getting hired at this agency with no experience whatsoever. I mean, I had experience that they didn't have that they were interested in. Um, but there was definitely a lot of, kind of luck and I guess calculated risks that I took in terms of what roles I, I took on and things like that. I think um, I've interviewed a lot of candidates as well. Obviously I've built big teams and I've had hire a lot. And I always like if people have some agency background because for me, I think it was, um, it really kind of gave me a kind of core structure and it was a great kind of boot camp in learning about, um, how to sell your ideas and pitch your ideas and think and create creative things, but still with the business goal and mind, like objective in mind. Um, and I think that's been really powerful for me then going in in-house and working with SaaS companies and still thinking about how do you kind of create the brand and more of the consumer impact and how do you kind of reach consumers, which now I think is even more critical for most SaaS companies. Um, they're thinking about the end user and how to kind of connect with them. Um, from a fashion perspective, I think um, for me, that's just the design and attention to detail. I've been really critical and design focused, even as more of a left brain marketer because after the agency i actually uh got hired as as an inbound marketing manager i think i was literally in the first cohort of like inbound university from hubspot like ages and ages ago uh and i 
joined a company that was doing marketing automation and we were building the marketing automation space. So that was genius. Most people probably don't know even who they are. We started as like a sales automation tool and then moved into marketing automation. Marketo was our biggest competitor and they were like literally across the street. Maria was like my counterpart there. We would see each other on the freeway driving to work. <laughs> and um, I think from that perspective, it was a good move because I was essentially doing marketing inbound marketing for a new category that would make marketers better at their job. And it was the whole kind of scientific approach to how do you think about the, like, what is the buyer's journey and lead scoring and lead nurturing and thinking about all the stages of the funnel. And then how do you build and optimize for that? And so I was educating the market about something that was also making me a better marketer along the way. Um, and so I think I've kind of followed that path in different ways throughout my career in terms of the jobs that I've taken because I have like done sales and marketing for sales and marketing tech companies. And then also um, I ran marketing for Greenhouse was the first marketing hire there and scaled um, through Series C. And that taught me and was basically a boot camp for how to be a great leader and recruiter and and for me there was a lot of kind of overlap obviously with the funnel and how how you think about that for recruiting so it was easy then to apply that to how we talked about it from a marketing perspective um and i also have worked with culture ramp which you know on the employee engagement side and then most recently i ran marketing for miro which is an online uh whiteboarding like a visual collaboration platform so that's, that was also an interesting boot camp in a different way, which was building and scaling teams and companies in a very distributed uh, fashion with, we had a big team in Russia, we had a team in Europe, also in the US. So that was kind of like a whole nother set of learning, but it just kind of continued to add to the, the pile in terms of good lessons to learn. Definitely a lot to unpack there. But one of the things I've admired about you, Barb, is your ability to recruit, uh, develop, and rehire the same group of individuals time after time. Uh, what do you, What is the secret sauce? Like, what do you uh, attribute that to? For me as a leader, my core kind of driver is authenticity and in some sometimes that means maybe i can be a little inappropriate <laughs> uh because i really am who i am and i bring that to work and the more um senior roles that i've been in i feel like the more appreciated it's been by everyone in the organization because it makes me approachable but i also seek out people within the organization that, you know, just aren't in marketing or not just senior, but also junior or different or in engineering or whatever. And so I feel like um, being an authentic leader is something that has been really um, powerful for me personally. And it's been something that I've gotten feedback on. And I think some people have been a little bit intimidated by it also, because it's not expected. 
Um, but then it also helps them sort of come out of their shell and bring their, their self to work and their perspective and not be afraid to speak up. Um, I think also I'm really loyal to my team and the broader company and the team members that I work with. Um, from a development perspective, the reason that I've been able to rehire people that I've hired in the past is because they know that I am trying to help them achieve their goals. And without asking, they're going to get their a promotion or the pay raise or the project that they should get. Like I'm extremely proactive about thinking about where they are and where they're trying to get to and giving them those opportunities and they just know that I have their back. That's that's great, Barb. And, and thanks for thanks for sharing. I, I had a follow up just on the part about um, bringing people up with you. And I think on the flip side of that, um, you know, in, in I think a lot of the reason why people love working in startups early in their career is it's an opportunity to grow quickly, assuming you have a good manager and you can find success. Like, you know, it's not like you're necessarily working at, um, you know, insert old industrial company here where you've got the ladders that you get to every so many years. Um, yeah. But on the flip side of that, like having having somebody on your team who maybe thinks they're ready for the next step, but like isn't quite ready for the next step. Um, like you talked about how kind of you've got this mindset of someone who's like a giver and who really like wants the best for your team and like wants to elevate people. And you've shown that time and time again. And it's part of why your team has followed you to like multiple stops on the journey. Tell us about the flip side of that and like how you kind of maybe like some advice on giving feedback to somebody who's like not quite there yet and like needs more time in the role that they're in. Some companies are really good at it and really proactive and have come up with a career ladders and here's all the levels and what you need to do. Um, mo many haven't and it's just kind of like the wild west and we'll see who gets promoted or moves forward. When you do roll it out, cause we rolled it out at Miro before I left, I helped kind of roll it out to all of the departments. We also do that at Greenhouse, especially with people who are more early in their career. The first thing they're asking is like, okay, how do I get to the next level? Like, what do I do? And it's a constant question. Like every one-on-one -on -one that they have with their manager, they're like, okay, what, what do I do? What, do, what should I do next? And I think, um, one of the ways that has helped me, uh, it's super basic, but like, um, I used to just kind of, build a simple bar chart like here's the skills that we've agreed for this role my philosophy and it differs but basically you should be like performing at the next level to get pushed to the next level and as soon as you are you should definitely get moved like that's a cultural decision that the company has to make but that's my philosophy and so i've just done easy basic things like here's a bar chart it's in Excel, let's say, and there's five, um, five little squares. And for each skill, you can just fill it in like, okay, three, four, five, two, one, just having them see visually like, oh, I really do have a Delta <laughs> is one like simple thing that just kind of like unlocks for them. Oh, okay. I do have some things I need to work on. I think then it's a matter of how do you help them specifically set personal development goals that are aligned with the business goals. So what projects can they work on that kind of stretch them in different ways? 
but that are also contributing to you know the quarterly objectives or whatever it is and then just continue to have that conversation and also continue to check in on you know your little visual um chart that it's like super basic but it's been useful for it's been a useful tool for me especially when there's some disagreement um obviously you have to give examples as to why are they not getting five slots on this one versus that one and the more clear and specific examples you have the better and also the more you can give feedback right away the better um because that's always you know better than waiting and then they expect something and then they don't get it and then it's like okay well screw you or whatever <laughs> yeah this is this is actually a question for you barb and maybe even for you robbie uh, look as soon as robbie brought that question up i go back to the days when i was at oracle and like you'll be surprised even at a company that size like we never talked about talent development ever yeah. like it was not even brought up so I, I think a lot of people know they should talk about it, but it doesn't come up because there's so many other things that happen. And usually mm -hmm. it doesn't happen until you have a people person. And the question I actually have is in sales roles, right? Like where frankly, the job doesn't change. Yes, you can move up the ladder. Maybe you go from an inbound to like an outbound SDR, or you go from a, a SMB mid-market to an enterprise rep, right? Like that's usually the projections. Uh, what I'm trying to ask is in that since the job doesn't really change, right? And it's hard to give other projects. Like what have you seen work really well in sales roles? And I'm only asking that because a nice percentage of our listeners are in those roles. Like, do you think maybe they should just go out on their own and kind of like take initiative and build out a process? Like what have you seen work really well? And, and Robbie, I'd love to get this from your lens as well, because you scaled, I think, much more people than I at least did at Zenefits. So one thing that you find is that people who are top performers kind of do it on their own anyway. They'll like build themselves a plan. They'll track their performance. They'll tell you about it. They'll show you their results. Like they have kind of a path that they're following. I think that's, you know, something that's lacking on the company side, like we should be able to give everybody this apparatus for um, tracking their performance. And I guess with sales, I think there's, I mean, one thing that you tend to see generally is that the more senior you get, the more cross-functional you become, the more customer facing sales obviously is already customer facing, but the more kind of responsibility and rapport you have to build with clients. So that could end up looking like, you know, developing a new pitch or taking ownership over um, going to market with a different audience or a different vertical or whatever, and kind of driving that process and thinking more strategically about it. Um, maybe pitching live, you know, is kind of a step stone. And then of course, like, how are they working cross-functionally? And I think as a sales leader or marketing leader or whoever, like you can definitely identify those opportunities, even to just bring them into conversations. Um, or on the sales side, there's also all the other stuff like operations and like, how are they working with finance and just getting exposure to other parts of you know, the, the, the pipeline and the workflows around sales, I think are, are certainly thought about when you look at 
what does it mean to be a senior individual contributor or a manager? And I do think it, it makes a difference to have, you know, both paths, of course. And just because you're really good at sales doesn't mean you'll be a good manager. And that shouldn't be the only path forward. Barb, I love what you said at the end about uh, the best individual contributors don't make the best managers. I think that's, and I think in sales, especially, that's like a pronounced, um, sometimes a cultural challenge. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and it's just like, uh, where do you go if you're the top performer on a sales team, right? Like, like what, what happens? I was talking to a friend the other day. Uh, it's like, what happens to the old sales reps? You know, where do they go? Like, where, where's, the, where's the place that they end up? But I think to your point about like enabling kind of more broad uh, context across the business for top performers is like, it's such a great way to help promote growth and, and help people level up. It's like help them see the perspective of other people from other parts of the business, right? And bring that perspective back into what they, you know, their practice and what they do every day. Um, and I can think of a couple different instances, but I think the first challenge that I've always seen, I've, most of my management experience has been with, with salespeople specifically. And, um, and what I've found is that like making the transition from an individual contributor to a manager, it, it, it does take time. And I think that like the things that, that brought you confidence, like in your execution as an individual contributor are not the things that will bring you confidence uh, in your execution as a manager. And so like helping folks bridge that gap of like, how do you get to a place of confidence, which isn't just like closing deals and beating your quota early in the month or early in the quarter. It's, you know, helping the rest of your team do that. And it's just such a different motion that um, helping new managers arrive at that, at that place first, and then opening up context into the rest of the business as like a growth opportunity, like to your point, Barb, I think is a really great way to do it. Yeah. I mean, it's all a matter of steps. Like it's a gradient path, you know? And I think, also with managers, especially new managers, you need to have an escape route that's okay. Like if this isn't working, you should be able to go back to being an individual contributor and not like maybe it's not for you. And that could be the employee who decides like, no, I don't, I don't wanna do this. Like this isn't the right path. Um, I think as companies, we still have a long way to go in terms of like, people feel like they have to be managers to move up and that's just wrong. Like it's a totally different skill set. It's a different um, rewards, like all of the things that you were just saying in terms of, you know, where you see your value impacting the company is very different. And it's just, you know, it's a different path. So I, I'm really a firm believer in the individual contributor should you should be able to have you know a very long career and senior career and even the you know very experienced top performer sales sales guy it's not just about him getting the perspective he also brings a lot of value to you know the product team or other parts of the organization based on his experience in the field and working with customers so I think that, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a paradigm shift that companies have started to move in and they're like, okay, we have these, you know, parallel paths and a senior IC can, you know, make as much money and feel as, as um, 
accomplished as a manager and that that's not the only way to move up. And I think from a retention perspective and how much value employees are creating, I think that's really important to sort of embrace. Yeah, the only thing I'll add to that, because I think you said it beautifully, which is um, it's the different skill sets. I, I will tell you though, sometimes when you're in that situation, like I was, and you get, you get asked, hey, do you want to move in this direction? you're so prideful and you're so excited that you're like, I can do it, you know, like, because you've just crushed it, this one role and you're like, Hey, I want to go move on to the next thing. Right. Without realizing how much more difficult it is. Yeah. Um, and I've actually seen engineering departments do much better at this transition than sales, even though they don't think so. And what they do is they add uh, like a tech lead role. And mm -hmm. funny enough, Oracle does this as well. At least when I was there where they add a team lead role and for, for a quarter for a full sales cycle, they actually get rid of their quota so the person doesn't have pressure. And their job is just to literally enable and support their team without having any, I would say like pressure of like hitting the quota. And yeah. the goal is to get them to like move in the baby steps of thinking about like the team and tech leads and do the same thing, right? Like that you're, you start taking baby steps to seeing kind of what it's like uh, yeah. manager and if you want to do it so I, I've actually not seen that shift as much so I think anything you can do to kind of allow people to take baby steps if you can do it for like at least one or two sales cycles it's yeah. the best way because some people frankly just don't know right? no matter how many times you talk or you shadow people you just it's one of those things you sometimes have to do it before you realize if it's for you or not um, and I'm, I'm, I'm making the suggestion because at least in my experience and in many people's experiences, they jump to that manager role. They're like, holy cow, I didn't realize how tough it is. And they don't know that it's okay to go back, right? Yeah. Uh, like it's going to be a demotion if they take it Yes, it's almost viewed. And then what ends up happening nine out of 10 times, someone else offers you a much higher paying job, at least 2015 to 2018, 2019, right? It was happening yeah. every day. So yeah. uh I think anything you can do to like allow people with very little, hopefully risk to see kind of what it's like to be a manager. It's you're putting yourself in a, it, it's a, it's a really passionate subject I'm on. And the other thing that you brought up, which is really interesting is if we can move up the ladder without having to go into management, right? What if you have a super powerful person that knows the product, they know the industry, they just don't want to go into management. Why can't we have the equivalent of like, what engineering departments have in a chief architect, right? Where they know the product, they're not managing it, but they know it much more. Like, why can't we have that equivalent in sales somehow, right? So anyway. Why wouldn't you want that? Exactly, <laughs> like, right? Why would you want to keep people at, you know, a different level or leaving the company because they feel like they have no other way to move forward? It's yeah. just crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. And uh, Barb, I, there was one last thing I wanted to get your perspective on here. Um, and, and that's, and that's uh, you know, we, we're talking a bit about leadership and talking about how to create healthy career progression. And I think one thing that is core to all that, <clears throat> pardon me, is, is culture. Um, and, and one thing that's core to culture and that we've been talking a lot about on the podcast recently is, is diversity and inclusiveness. And I'd love to just kind of get your perspective as you think about, you know, leaders on your team or you yourself as a leader, like what leaders can do to promote diversity and inclusiveness to enable a lot of the things that we're talking about right now. I mean, I think 
so from my perspective, diversity is um, like, that's something that you want to continue to cultivate and make sure that you're focused on from like a recruiting perspective. And so removing biases, having a structured approach, like all of that kind of stuff. And, and inclusiveness is sort of more on the retention side. Like how do you keep people engaged? How do you make sure that they feel like they're in a safe space and, um, and can thrive, I guess, uh, from, but they're obviously tied together. So like you're not, it's going to be really hard for you to recruit a diverse set of people if you're not really diverse or like if it's not built into the culture. I think inclusivity is something that leaders 100% should be um, fostering, but it's also something that needs to be built into the fabric of the company. Like I think Greenhouse, Greenhouse is probably the best example from where I've worked Culture Amp also does a great job um, where it really like we didn't have um, a big emphasis or focus on how do we, you know, create diversity or hire diverse people or whatever, because it was really fundamentally built into our culture. Like we were open minded and we were embracing all these differences. And that was something that was more part of our like culture interview rather than like a specific initiative for um, diversity. But I think from an inclusion perspective as a leader, um, there's many things that you can do, I think easy things too. So like just kind of doing temperature checks with the team, I think recognition is a big thing. So I talked a little bit about like my loyalty to my team, but also pushing them and giving them opportunities. This matters for everybody on the team. Um, and you have to make sure that you're recognizing everybody for little things, for big things. Um, and also how you're kind of celebrating wins as a team. Um, I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of kind of discussions and things that leaders and companies are talking about like psychological safety and this is something that I would say when I say I'm an authentic leader this is something that I also create with my own authenticity because I'm showing people that you can be vulnerable even if you're an executive at the company it's okay. And I think that is really important because there's a lot of rhetoric and talk about failing fast and doing this, but then at the end of the day, like people are afraid to fail and they don't want to talk about their failures or share them because they're afraid that they're going to get fired or they're not going to get a promotion or whatever it is. So I think, you know, the check-ins and the continuous kind of feedback and like continuous feedback to people is good because it helps them grow, but it's also good for the company because it's not just about how does the, how do the people continuously evolve and grow and become better, but it's also the company and the culture. And that comes from getting feedback from all of your, your team members and your employees. And those, if it's cultural, if it's how people are using certain words or language or the way that the company is celebrating something or someone, or I think, you know, how decisions are made comes into play in terms of creating transparency and structure. So it's clear for people why things are happening instead of 
if you don't have that, there probably is bias in the decision of, you know, who got what job or whatever. But there's also like mistrust that can come because um, people don't know why you've made decisions as a company. You said about psychological safety in the beginning and like how leaders can create that by being vulnerable. I think that that's just like such a good reminder for everybody to tell themselves more often is like, it's okay to be vulnerable or not superheroes like we do make mistakes and, and actually the team seeing people in leadership positions making mistakes owning those mistakes talking about what they learned out loud is, is a way to kind of like foster a culture where people are more you know willing to take risks calculated risks and knowing that it's okay to fail like it's safe yeah. to fail and it's safe to talk about it and share that it's hard because a lot of companies talk about doing that and behaving that way but they don't really do mm -hmm. it yet <laughs> which is why I want to build my own company. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely something that everyone needs to really be committed to. And like the actions speak louder than words at that point in terms of how do you use that information that you're getting from those situations. But definitely setting the example as a leader is really important. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, well, Barbara, listen, um, we are we are coming up on time here, but and I feel like we could probably talk for like another 90 minutes at least about a lot of these different topics we cover today. And we'll definitely have to have you back in the coming months to learn a little bit more about what you're working on and and uh, some of the things that you're building um, on your own. Um, maybe in maybe in the darker months in Amsterdam when uh, when uh, when it's not so light out um, all day long. But um, we do like to, to to wrap with kind of one final question, typically, and this is just kind of a high level, quick one. Uh, as somebody who has had um, a lot of success in their career, like looking back on on everything you've learned, if you were to go back in a time portal and talk talk to Barb coming out of SF State at you know in your early twenties, like what's what's maybe one thing you would tell yourself, one piece of advice you would give your younger self as you're beginning the journey? Just be true to yourself and what you want and what you want to do. I think you know in my career I've made choices that people are like whoa like why are you leaving or what are you doing or whatever and for me it was a calculated risk I think confidence Poya I saw you posted on LinkedIn about this yesterday uh, confidence is really important and that's how you can really project that being true to yourself and don't settle and and like really speak up and just get what you want <laughs> That's what I would say. Um, well, Barb, such such a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your afternoon to, to spend it with us and to share with our community and audience. Uh, and uh, yeah, we hope you have a great rest of your day. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. What a great episode. That was fantastic. Full of nuggets, full of actionable insights, but also some great anecdotes by Barb. Uh, look, I, we can't thank you folks enough for listening. Um, if you want to reach out to either myself, Poya, or Robbie with any feedback, questions, suggestions that you may have uh, for guests or things that we could be doing better on this podcast, uh, we welcome it. Um, and we wish you all a fantastic rest of your day. Thanks so much for tuning in. And until next time.